afternoon I may preach to you the gospel of salvation as we also confess this, summarize it in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism, that's page 536 in the book of praise. The Apostles' Creed is part of one of the ecumenical creeds, one of the confessions that we hold to, teach, love. And this is the, the last two phrases of the Apostles' Creed. We're studying what, what it means. So Lord's Day 22, the church confesses, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the beginning of the Bible, we read about the beginning of human life when the triune God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That's Genesis 1 verse 1. And he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them so that they could praise and glorify him. Psalm 33 mentions that. Romans 1 talks about that as well, the purpose of creation. Every creature that God made is called upon to praise his creator and his God with all his being. That's what we sang in Psalm 98 as well. Even the rivers are called to clap their hands and the mountains to sing together for joy. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we read, that there will be a time when all rebellion, all those who refuse to worship, all sin will be completely destroyed. There will be a new heavens and a, a new earth. You say a new creation when God will dwell on earth in the midst of men. And everyone will joyfully praise him, unhindered by the fall into sin. And the Apostles' Creed the church confesses that she believes in that big picture revealed in Scripture. A triune God who created everything and who will bring his church to eternal glory. And as we study the creed, and, and Lord's Day 22 is the last part of the creed that we're studying, we should not lose the connection between the beginning and the end, between creation and eternal glory. 
The gospel promise is that the goal of creation will be realized in us and and by us through Christ our Lord for all eternity. We have been made body and soul to praise God, to live in fellowship with him. And we believe that we can do this fully because we will outlive sin. That is the beauty of the confession of the church about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In your striving to worship God with your whole being, as you have been made to do, know very well that you will outlive sin. Your soul will continue to live after your body wastes away and and dies. And later your body will be joined to your soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And then you will be able to live in perfect blessedness in which to praise God forever. Preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. By God's grace, we may worship him eternally. As creatures made from the dust, first of all. Secondly, as Christ's body. And in third place, as citizens of heaven. If you open your Bibles to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, you can see that, especially starting verse 26, that the triune God decided to make man in his image on the sixth day of creation. And so he made male and female human beings in his image. And there's more detail about the creation of man in Genesis 2, verse 7. You can read there that the first man, Adam, was formed from the dust of the earth. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If you look closely at this verse, you can see that although there were two stages in the creation of man, God was not finished creating the man when he had just formed the body, but that man became a living being or a creature only after God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The text also makes it clear that sometimes in the Old Testament, the word soul can be a reference to the the whole person, which we would define today perhaps as, as body and soul forged into one living being. We, body and soul, are image bearers of God, which means that we, body and soul, give glory to God when we represent his name and his glory before men with our whole being. Now, it may seem strange to you that we keep emphasizing this body and soul, the unity of our body and our souls, but it's something that many people often miss. Because our bodies are wasting away with old age, we realize we can't put a lot of hope in what our bodies can do in a relationship with God or with others. There are people who believe then that worship of God must be something that is merely cerebral, something only of the mind. 
Or there are others who say that worship is, is not to do so much with the body, but with the emotions that we feel in our insights. But it has very little to do with our regular tasks and calling. Sometimes you can read it or talk to people who see the, the human body, the physical body as a mere trap. It almost holds us down. And you can read about it again, and, and many so-called Christians, they, they long for the day when the soul will be able to spring free from the body and, and I don't know, float around, just be, get lost in the greater whole, like some big ocean, some nirvana. So as a result, there are people who don't take care of their bodies as if their bodies are unimportant for the Christian faith. Others who think that any bodily desire, human desire is, is completely wicked and then they live a, an ascetic life, a, a life where they take out all desires and they try to live without eating too much and they really, really make their bodies suffer. This emphasis on the inside, the soul. But then we look at the church's confession. This is a very old confession of faith, years, hundreds and hundreds of years. Comes straight out of what Scripture teaches. And we see that we begin with the creation of the body from the dust of the earth, made to enjoy God's beautiful creation where he placed the man who placed him in a garden. And it ends, the same creed ends with a, with a confession of the resurrection of the body in the last day. Although we certainly do not despise our emotions, our, our insides, or our thoughts and our reasoning, we do not separate them from the whole person. And as Christians, we recognize that we are whole beings made by God to glorify Him. And so also what our body, bodies need are part of our creation. And when we look closely at scriptures, we see that God receives the fullest praise when we are worshiping him with our whole being, when there is consistency in our lives. God created man to worship him in a very concrete, in a very real way. If you look at what he teaches us right at the beginning, Genesis 1, could call it the great mandate, 26 to 28, he, he's going to tell us why he made us, what, and he says, here you are, I made you, and what does he say, be fruitful and increase in number, talking about family, rule over the world, and then he says, rest from your work on the seventh day, worship me on the seventh day, that's what we were made to do. Can you imagine even beginning to obey this mandate if you didn't have a body? You're floating around. Worship of God involves more than just a soul connection in your devotions. It's more than just knowledge in catechism class. More than just an experience in a worship service. But worship touches all of our being. Everything we do, everything we think, every activity. 
And God created us body and soul so that we could worship him in our work, in our families. And when he called to worship him, called us to worship him with our whole being, God did not forget that he gave us bodies that can only be at one place at a time, that have special desires, that, that find delight in certain things that he also made here in the world, in creation. And then we look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show that God knew very well that he created us with bodies as well to worship him. They're very earthy. They teach us how to live before the Lord. They teach us how to use our mouths. They teach us what is a desire that glorifies God. They teach us how we need to treat one another, how we should use our hands. They teach us how to fulfill our mandate, how to truly love and trust our maker. The Lord God made us creatures from the dust of the earth so that we might praise and glorify him forever in body and soul. It's all scriptures point to the need of our bodies and our souls for worship. And that's why we talk in the, in the confession, in our, in our creed, about the comfort of knowing about the resurrection of the body. Because when we realize why we have been made, that all our yearning, all our striving in this life is a striving after God, a striving to glorify Him, when we realize how we have been called and made to worship God with our bodies and our souls, then we also see the, the seriousness of the consequence, the consequences of the fall into sin. You see, death came into the world when man decided it would be better to seek his own honor and his own glory rather than to glorify and thank God. Sin caused a separation from God and Paul says in his letter to the Romans that man began to worship the created things instead of the creator. And the human race in rebellion gave their bodies over to the lusts of their hearts that turned their focus away from, from, from God. Sin came, it, it polluted the creatures whom God had made from the dust to worship him. It clouded our understanding, perverted our desires, and made us perishable. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, we are as perishable as flesh and blood. We are unable to inherit the kingdom of God. You can see that a lot, can't you? Sin, sometimes it's our own laziness. Sometimes we see sin and rebellion in others. Or the effects of the fall might be illness, might be injury, might be some sickness, and even death itself, which separates the, the soul and the body. These things are horrible. They are so painful because they make it harder for us to worship God fully. Perhaps that is the biggest reason we have for hating sin. It hinders our worship. It gets in the way of why we were made. We were made to, to worship God. 
It's true that we as sinners, we are still able to worship. That's why we're, we're here today. But we're severely limited by our earthly tents. And it's frustrating to see how far we are from pleasing God with our souls, with our bodies, with our whole being. It's frustrating to see how we have robbed ourselves of our gifts. And so with God's revelation in, in, our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our hands, we're reading it and eager to worship God once again fully and eternally. By God's grace, we pray as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, O oh, Father, hallowed be your name. That's the prayer. The church, grant that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. O Lord, you made us to glorify you. We are limited by our weakness. Show us the way. We pray with Paul, like we read in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The only hope that man has to return to pure worship is found in Jesus Christ. And so as God's church, we rejoice that already now in this life, we can see the beginnings of renewed, sincere worship in the power of the resurrection of Christ and in the promise of the resurrection from the dead. To see our eternal worship as Christ's body, the resurrection of Christ from the grave which we confess to be true. It brings new life to each one of us already now in this life. His resurrection gives us the promise of bodies and souls that will be completely able to worship God for all eternity, unhindered by sin, the effects of the fall, and even death. We see one who has conquered sin and Satan and death. We see a glorious body. The promise of Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 37 is that, that chapter very well known where there's a vision of a valley of dry bones. And the prophet is told, preach to the bones, preach to the bones. And all of a sudden they, they started clacking and rattling together and, and their flesh was added to them and they became whole beings again. That promise of Ezekiel 37 is a change that is already taking place in the hearts of all who believe in Jesus.